Our first reading this morning is from 2 Timothy, chapter 2, and starting at verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Here is a trustworthy saying. If we died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we disown him, he will disown us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot disown himself. And now we turn to Luke's Gospel. Chapter 17 and starting at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus travelled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, Were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, Rise and go, your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Let's just pray. Father, as we come to your word now, we ask that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to see you afresh, to see where and how you are talking to us as individuals and as a church. Help us to see your word clearly and to hear your voice speaking to us. In your name. Amen. Well, last week in uh, Luke 17, you may remember if you were at the 8 o'clock at least, or up in um, uh, Blackheath, we were looking at working out our salvation in the ordinary humdrum of life, uh, that we might not be superheroes, uh, but that we are still called to serve God in our everyday life. Uh, Despite our claim, or it was the disciples' claim in the Bible, that their faith was not big enough, we heard that actually all you need is the faith of a mustard seed, if your faith is in a big enough God. 
And I suspect that we all probably go around our day-to-day existence uh, without putting a Christian or a God-inspired label on the things that we do. But that probably says more about our vocabulary than actually the things that happen and, uh, and the actions that we take. So Luke begins uh, chapter 17, which is where uh, Nikki was reading. And he begins the chapter by saying that however small our faith, if it's in a big enough God, you need not worry. And that we should work out the faith that we have. And then he takes us to this story of ten lepers outside uh, a city uh, where Jesus is, I think he's going into the city, but it's not entirely clear. Uh, And he doesn't uh, touch the the lepers at all. In fact, he doesn't really even uh, go near them or notice them at first, which is an interesting um, uh, fact. I mean, he says when he saw them, so presumably he missed them. Uh, first time when they were shouting. Uh, He tells them to go and present themselves to the priest. And as they go, they're healed. Apparently all of them are healed, but only one of them comes back. Now, to me, this story has four options. One, it's a story about healing. True, it is a story about healing. Secondly, it's a story about giving thanks to God. True, It is a story about giving thanks to God. Or thirdly, perhaps it's both. Or fourthly, perhaps it's both, but a whole lot more. Why is it that Luke is so determined for us to know that only one of them returned? Now, I don't know if you love reading. We, we, uh, as a household, we like reading. Uh, But our household is split down the middle. There are two in the household that read the story, get to the end of the book and say, well, that was all right. Yeah, it wasn't much of a plot line. It was pretty obvious, really. It wasn't very exciting. And then there's the other two who say, didn't you enjoy that character development? How you could see the pain welling up through their, the, the affair that was going on and, and the way they were dealing with that relationship with the other child. And those two turn to the first two and they, Really? I'm in the first two. I read a story and I like to get to the end and think, that was a good story. Marion is in the other half. And she develops characters. She gets underneath the writing and can see what the author is really trying to say. I just like a good yarn, really. We can look at a story, but we can miss the point. If we only look at the surface, unless we dig a little bit deeper. And of course, Jesus here is engaged in something. He's talking to people. That's why he didn't notice the lepers when he first went by. Lepers, of course, were not that uncommon. And they would have been outside the city walls. It was a disease which was incurable. And therefore, you were cast out from society. You had to live in your own leper colony. But Jesus hears their cry, which is for pity or mercy, presumably mercy for their condition. Uh, And Jesus tells them to go and see the priest. That, again, is completely normal. 
in order to go back into society, if you had a disease or you were unclean, you had to present yourself to the priest uh, and the priest would give you uh, the approval or a certificate uh, and you would go back into normal life. So all of that is terribly logical. Other than healing needed a touch, normally. But Jesus doesn't touch them. In fact, he doesn't really even go near them. He doesn't even tell them that they're going to be healed. He simply says, go and see the priest. There is only one reason to go and see the priest. And that is to get approval for your cleanliness. So the inference, it seems to me at least, is that the point here is that Jesus is saying, you take the step of faith and you will be healed on the journey. Healing will follow because there is no other reason to go and see the priest. And so, as they go, they are healed. And one of them returns and prostrates himself in humility before Jesus. And in response, Jesus, of course, says, your faith has made you well. Jesus has complete control. He has complete authority over the illness and, in fact, those Uh, ten people. But normally you are healed first and then you go and see the priest. You don't set off while you're still ill. So this is completely different. And I find it interesting that all ten had to have that faith before they set off on the journey. But it's only one that connects his healing with the words of Jesus and returns So what happened to the others? Did they forget? In that heat of the moment, did they think, well, I've got the one thing I really wanted, so that's cool, I can forget the rest. The one that returned clearly made that connection between Jesus and the healing, because his life had been turned around. His life, effectively, had been saved. His disease was only going one way. But now he was clean. And I I wondered to myself if, and I'm sure it's true, I picked Jesus up and I put him down again. I pick him up when I need him. And then when things are going okay, I can put him down again. And in a sense, that's what nine of those people were doing. They picked Jesus up because they were in need, but when they were healed... That was fine. He could go about his other daily jobs. He's got plenty to do. I don't need him anymore. It's further illustrated in the fact of the one person that came back to say thank you. And that's the Samaritan. As we know, the Samaritans and the Jews just didn't mix. The Samaritans were beyond the pale. But it's the Samaritan, the outsider who comes back to say thank you. When they were in a a state of disease, they were all together. Don't you find that interesting? There was no uh, form, there was no status, there was no uh, us and them when they were all lepers. They were all together. But when they were healed... The nine Jews go in one direction, the Samaritan goes in a different direction. 
I find that interesting, that it's the outsider who entered the relationship with God. It was he who saw the completeness of his change and a total transformation. His life had been saved and his life had been saved for a relationship with Jesus, the Saviour. It makes me wonder what I want when I approach Jesus. Am I looking for an easy ride? Do I just want to get out of the circumstances that I'm in at the moment? Do I want uh, an easy time? Or do I want to come to a guide? Do I want to come to a helper? Am I looking for my body to be healed or my soul to be cured? Am I looking for religion or am I looking for Jesus? Because the two are different. And when God does touch me spiritually and I'm aware that God has seen me, heard me or dealt with me, what do I say? It's quite easy at Thanksgiving because it's a, it's a festival. We know that God gives and we give thanks. But day to day, tomorrow, what will we do? When God deals with us, he handles us, he speaks to us, will we pick him up and say thank you? Or will we ignore him? Uh, we thought at Encounter this week uh, about different feelings we have to thanksgiving. And we tried to look at, at different ways uh, uh, of describing what that thanks is. What was going through the person's mind when they helped us? How did they feel? Why did they do it? How did I feel? How did I react? What will I do differently next time? There are so many ways of giving thanks. The difference it makes to us. So when we're thanked, how do we feel? How do we react? What will we do next time? For the lepers, this was a life-changing experience. But only one saw the depth of what Jesus had done. If we want to sort of extend that illustration slightly, just as the lepers have been saved from death, so we have been saved from death through our sins. The Samaritan began a relationship with God at that moment. At the point when our sins are forgiven, we begin that relationship with God in its fullest sense. And so we should remember, we should celebrate, and that's what we're doing this morning in this communion service. We're remembering the gift of God. And today we give thanks. Because our life is about service. Our life is about giving thanks for the loving sacrifice of Christ on our behalf. So I wonder, as we approach uh, communion today, how are we going to do it? Is this a moment when we're picking God up? And when we go, we can go back to our daily life. The Scotland game is on, by the way. But I'm pleased to see you all here. Is that where our mind is? Is that where our head is? It's a great phrase, isn't it? I can't get my head around that. I hear it often. 
Where is our head? Where is our vision this morning? Are we going to walk with God this coming week? Because we have met with him today. So I don't know about you, but when you come uh, to the front for communion, and it's a meal at the end of the day, it is simply a meal that God has invited us to join him at. So we come to the table. We share the food that he's prepared, his body, his blood. You may wish to sit in one of these chairs just to reflect on what God has done for you. On making you clean. On making you new. Of that new relationship that you can enter. You may want someone to pray with you and I know Marion will be uh, available for, for prayer in the vestry on the side and others I'm sure will be willing to come and pray with you if that's what you need. But let's this morning think again of what God has done for us. Do we meet with God and walk away because he's changed us sufficiently that we don't need him anymore? Or do we appreciate all that he's done and ask to walk with him day by day? Father, I pray that you would come to us this morning. That you would touch us again. And when you ask, did I not cleanse other people as well? Where are the others? May we be in those that have returned to give thanks. May we hear your voice say, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Father, we thank you for offering us your life on behalf of ours. Amen.